to Objection to the Rule, your Sunday afternoon news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn. We are recording this episode on Thursday, September 16th, and it will begin airing on Sunday, September 19th. My name is Reese Robinson, and I'm on air today with my co-hosts, Emily Scott and Jasmine Smith. How's it going, ladies? Not bad, not bad. How are y'all? Doing all right. Uh, Today, pre-sundown, was Yom Kippur, so I hope... Um, everyone had an easy fast for those who were fasting, um, and, you know, atoning for all your sins, all the fun stuff that goes along with that. I am just like, what is this season right now in life and the world? It just feels like there's just like a lot, uh, going on everywhere. Anybody Mm -hmm. feel that energy is just a little bit crazy right now? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's just, it's just one of those times. So. If you're having a rough day, I'm sending you guys love. (laughs) All right. So on the docket for today's episode, we will be talking about the protests outside of the Met Gala. We will also be talking about the gymnasts blasting the FBI for their handling of their allegations about Larry Nassar. Um, The nuclear powered submarine deal that the U.S. made with Australia and the new direct air capture facility that opened in New Zealand. So let's go ahead and kick off today's in episode. Iceland. Oh, in Apologies Iceland. If I misspoke earlier. Yes. <laughs> Maybe I made that up. I'm sorry. Okay. So let's go ahead and kick off today's episode with our local news story. Jasmine, you're up. All right. So on Monday the 13th, it was the Met Gala. So there's been a lot of um, images of the outfits people were wearing. There was. There's also been a lot of buzz about the dress that uh, Congresswoman Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez wore to the gala, but uh, I wanted to talk about an event that was taking place right outside that hasn't got as much coverage. So most of this information comes from Jezebel. Um, the title of the article is Outside the Met Gala, Police Arrested Multiple Black Lives Matter Protesters. Um, inside the Met Gala on Monday evening, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio walked the red carpet alongside First Lady Sherlane McRae and son Dante, seemingly enjoying the highly exclusive event despite once deeming it not his cup of tea. Outside the gala, NYPD officers arrested multiple Black Lives Matter protesters who were calling to defund the police department whose budget de Blasio oversees. Um, and this is a departure from the Jezebel article. This is according to Patch.com. The protest began Monday afternoon in Lower Manhattan, moved uptown by around 6 p.m., and the protesters' demands included, included defunding and eventually abolishing the NYPD, as well as ending the relocations of homeless people from hotels into shelters. And this is according to um, the Daily Mail, A flyer from the demonstration identified the protesters as a, quote, autonomous group of NYC abolitionists who believe that policing does not protect and serve communities. And hashtags on Twitter identified them as fire them all protesters. Cell phone footage shows the crowd gathered inside the gala chanting Black Lives Matter and calling out Mike Rosado, who is a 24-year-old man in the Bronx that was fatally shot by plainclothes officers in August. Um, I don't know if you all have heard about that shooting, 
Um, but according to the New York Daily News, Mike Rosado and his father were involved in a brawl. Rosado began shooting into the crowd. The NYPD says a pair of off-duty police officers ordered Rosado to drop the weapon. Mike fi- opened fire but did not hit anyone. The police officers returned fire and fatally struck Mike once in the chest, according to the police. Um, Rosado's family claims that he was shot with his hands up and that the police did not identify themselves. Uh, So this is returning back to the um, Jezebel article. Additional footage and photos of the demonstration show at least two dozen police officers rushing toward the crowd, tackling people to the ground and carrying them away in zip tie handcuffs. Later that night, protesters reportedly moved their demonstration to outside the NYPD's 28th precinct, where some of their fellow demonstrators were being detained as of around 9 p.m. local time. de Blasio was heavily criticized last summer amid mass protests for George Floyd and Breonna Taylor for implementing a citywide 8 p.m. curfew that exacerbated police violence against demonstrators. The outgoing mayor also notably defended the NYPD officers who drove into a throng of protesters with an SUV. He said it's inappropriate for protesters to surround a police vehicle and threaten police officers, de Blasio said at the time. That's wrong on its face, and that hasn't happened in the history of protest in NYC. Um, And the article ends by saying, in a way, it is all too fitting that police would be brutally arresting Black protesters outside a fashion event whose theme was, in essence, America. The same is true of the fact that the politician who might be able to deliver on protesters' demands would be inside among the city's elite getting his picture taken. Um, And I just wanted to mention uh, an Instagram account that's at for our liberation, all one word, F-O-R-O-U-R-L-I-B-E-R-A-T-I-O-N, where you can see um, more information about uh, some of the individuals that were leading the protests who were arrested, ways that you can support and learn more about uh, what was going on on Monday outside of the gala. I think this is interesting. I had not heard anything about it. And I mean, yeah, I, me either. I don't want you to know about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I, it's been really silent on that front lately. So I feel like it's kind of part of the fabric that we didn't hear about it. Yeah, it's super interesting. I um, I hadn't heard about that. I knew about the uproar over... Um, AOC's dress and on you know on all sides a lot of a lot of thoughts about that and you know capitalism and like just the amount of wealth that was in a place like that um but I hadn't heard about the protest which is really interesting yeah I think that the person hit the nail on the head at the end of that article that you know mm-hmm and you know it's something that I've said before on the show that a lot of people think that the primary purpose of the police is to protect the people, but you see over and over again how it it is like protecting mm-hmm. the interests of people's property, of people who have money, people who have status, mm-hmm. because you know it, I mean I 
I'm not going to get into like what my personal thoughts are on the dress or whatever. Like, I think that it, I, I think that, yeah, like a lot of people are talking about that, but you know, there's a very urgent, immediate thing that was happening that same night. That's not mm-hmm. getting any of the same attention and it's much more important, you know, and there were people mm-hmm. in that room in a position to do something about it that, you know, were being protected from their constituents Mm -hmm. Um, having to face them and account for what decisions they've been making Mm. so I mean as far as you know this is we're taping this on Thursday evening as far as I know all the protesters so far have been released Um, but please like do your googles and follow that Instagram account and try to you know keep up with what they're doing and what's going on with them because I'm sure you know there's other events that will be happening yeah the event was um itself i mean it was really interesting the point the note in uh the story you were reading jasmine that i was also like the theme of the event was america and how much the the different meanings of that i think is really interesting right like i i'm guessing the exhibit was mostly about like the artistic and fashion history of america because it's the fashion exhibit that blah blah, blah it's opening but um, so many of the themes, the darker themes, I think of, uh, of the United States were playing out in that point, just like you were saying, the, um, police brutality outside against protesters. Um, and again, as well, I mean, like I, I was looking at the photos from the event and all, like, I was really like struck, like, I don't know if I haven't noticed in previous years or have just become more aware of it, but just the amount like of uncontrolled like money just that was just like imbued in that was like really felt grotesque you know and like and at the end of the day right like yeah it's a fundraiser for a nonprofit museum or whatever but it's also like Anna Wintour runs it and she runs Vogue and Vogue runs on money and selling this idea of like of a you know and and just selling ideas of things and creating um like this whole capitalist like um worldview that was like very off-putting to me this year um particular I don't know if it was like a post-covid sort of ugh, like that feeling but yeah there's a lot of that very very American dark side of American I think yeah it's very quintessential because it is like very <laughs> you know it's like with COVID still happening I think I just read a stat from Johns Hopkins that said like as of now like one in 500 Americans have died yeah. of COVID which is just an unfathomable number Mm -hmm. you know and like you have this like let them eat cake looking type of moment where you Mm -hmm. have you know and New York is a good city for that where like you have such extremes like you always have like if you're on the upper east side or in certain areas or even look at like Ida it's like look at how Mm -hmm. you know certain areas were perfectly fine it was just a rainy day and then you have these other places where people are drowning in their Mm -hmm. basement apartments because they cannot afford to live in a safer place Mm -hmm. you know and those things are side by side in the same city and this is like inside the door outside the door you have two completely different worlds going on and only one of them is getting like the attention that it really needs, you know, it's, and, you know, I love the arts and I do support, I do think that it's yeah. important, you know, cause they do like the costume Institute and everything mm-hmm. like the history of clothing. I'm not saying that stuff isn't important, but you have to have like some balance and some perspective into like 
how do you retain those things without thumbing your nose at the types of issues that protesters were bringing attention to and without violently like brutalizing people for protesting mm-hmm. yeah I was having the same thoughts too Jasmine like I like you know love like you know artistic expression and things like that and the it was very cool looking at the photos of the artwork but it was that balance too where it's like at the end of the day right like the the supermodels there like the fa- like you know Anna Wintour of Vogue like they're selling you like by having these you know like friggin like Addison Ray from like TikTok it's like all there's so much money about behind the decisions of who even gets to go to an event like that um that it's, it's really tied up in it really really deeply I feel like as of late America has been doing um a, a great job and I say that you know conscientiously because this is what they always do of covering up all the fucking issues that we were talking about like six seven months ago around this time um and it's just been this sort of like radio silence about anything that fucking matters you know it's and I was thinking today in comparison to how we were doing the show last year and just like all the things that we were dealing with during this time last year when shit was just an array and we were trying our best to deal with a fucking election and we had this, you know, monster and his people's running everything. Like how different is it now? We may not have somebody just like sitting there spewing out hatred um, in our faces, but almost the the silence about it. It's like, it's like lying by omission type shit. Like we're not like that shit didn't just go away, you know? So whatever is happening, you know, and this is a good example it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, we're getting better. So all these celebrities can come out and celebrate like we always do. And I love the Met Gala. You guys know I used to, you know, work at the Met. Like, I love the idea of celebrating fashion and celebrating people and people having an opportunity to be artists and, you know, have a good time. But the reality is at the end of the day, like, that's only a moment in time that comes and goes. It's just a flash on the screen. What's really still happening? What's Who's really still dealing with things? Um, and the way that this has been painted, the fact that we didn't even hear the fucking story and we live here, you know, it just shows you that there is opposition working to distract us from the issues that are real. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say the same thing. You know, it's like a lot of people, it's not about, um, I'm not going to label like individuals as being like evil or whatever, because they enjoy fashion. Like I, you know, I enjoy looking at like well-made garments as well, but you know, distraction is very real, you know, where you can get so invested in escapism and even, you know, people that are in charge, like they are in positions of relative power, like, and they are engaging in these types of things. Um, I wish I looked more into like how the Met Gala specifically works and where the money actually goes, because it, to my understanding, it's kind of like, it looks like, oh, it's raising money for something, but you know, some of that is like not a hundred percent accurate. Like a lot of it does just come down to like a big party (laughs) for a lot of rich people to Mm -hmm. like bring a lot of eyes on something. But as long as you kind of slap fundraising or charity onto something people kind of forget that and think it's okay well yeah isn't that kind of crazy too that you know we don't really know what that's a fundraiser it's it's so beyond it really is just like a big celebrity costume night you know like it's beyond whatever meaning it originally had yeah which you know like we've always had problems in this country but I think like um recent like you were saying especially in the last two years with the pandemic 
the ongoing pandemic and the ongoing other crises that are still happening in this country, like whether it's police brutality, people being, you know, the housing market, kids getting sick now, you know, tons of kids getting sick now that schools have reopened. You know, it's it's just so it's it seems in bad taste um, to even host something like that right now. Right. And then and it's like, when, when will it ever be in good taste again? You know, like, I, I don't want to be Debbie Downer. I'm just a realist. And at the end of the day, I feel like all of the people that we've seen on a red carpet and beyond last year were making different sort of contributions to the expression that was necessary. And it's nobody's responsibility, but it's everybody's responsibility, right? To be conscious and use their platforms, whatever. You can be on whatever side of the, the argument with that. I just, I just really want us to be mindful that distraction is at play right now. And it is, it's almost, it's almost like scary to me that we haven't talked about any of the fucking issues that we spent a whole year, like (laughs) talking so deeply about it, going so hard for and every freaking platform, every award show, every opportunity that the celebrity world had to speak out against it. They took it. And now it's like radio silence. That shit is creeping me out. I don't know about (laughs) y'all. Well, we're not radio silent. We're radio loud. (laughs) Radio free free Brooklyn. Brooklyn. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Jasmine, for bringing that story to light. I think it's definitely something that we should, we should all look into where the money for the Met Gala, like, what is that all about? We should look into that and just, be mindful of that moving forward. So we're going to go ahead and pop into our first music break for the day. Um, I have a cool jazz record for you. This one is called Free, and it's by Joey DeFrancesco. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Radio Free Brooklyn and Objection to the Rule. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and pop into our national news story. So this story I'm bringing you today comes with just, I don't even know how to feel about this. I was watching them on the news this morning. I just felt so overwhelmed. But um, it's coming from the Washington Post. The title of the article is Simone Biles to Congress. I blame Larry Nassar and I also blame an entire system. The author of this article is uh, Devlin Barnett. 
Simone Biles and three fellow gymnasts offered gut-wrenching testimony to Congress on Wednesday, describing the abuse they suffered at the hands of Dr. Larry Nassar and charging the FBI charging that the FBI turned a blind eye as he molested young female patients. Biles blamed USA Gymnastics, the U.S. Olympics Committee, and the FBI for a long-running abuse by the doctor who molested girl and women athletes under the guise of medical treatments. At times, the 24-year-old superstar's voice quivered as she tied her mental health difficulties at the Tokyo Olympics this summer directly to the trauma of Nassar's abuse. Quote, I don't want another young gymnast, Olympic athlete, or any individual to experience the horror that I and hundreds of others have endured before, during the continuing, sorry, before, during, and continuing to this day in the wake of Larry Nasser's abuse. Biles told members of the Senate Judiciary Committee as she fought back tears. To be clear, I blame Larry Larry Nassar. And I also blame an entire system that enabled and perpetuated his abuse. Biles, the world's most accomplished gymnast, won a bronze medal in balance beam at the Olympics this summer, but withdrew from most of the competition, citing mental duress. Talking about her training for the participation in the Tokyo Games, she said, quote, the scars of this horrific abuse continue to live with all of us. Biles said she could think of no place more uncomfortable for her to be than before lawmakers and television cameras in the hearing room, testifying publicly about the abuse. She says she came to the Senate so that no little girl must endure what she and fellow gymnasts did. Quote, we have been failed and we deserve answers. It truly feels like the FBI turned a blind eye to us to protect the the Olympics and the gymnastics organizations. More than a year after the allegations against Nassar were first brought to the FBI in 2015, he was arrested and charged by state officials. In the interim, Nassar is estimated to have abused at least 70 more athletes, according to a devastating report issued in July by the Department of Justice Inspector General Michael Horowitz. Horowitz. Nassar's victims say the figure is even higher at 120. Nassar, who treated athletes for both USA Gymnastics and Michigan State University, is now serving the equivalent of a life term in federal prison. Michaela Maroney, another former Olympian, offered haunting details of being sexually assaulted by Nassar, including an incident in Japan a decade ago when she was only 15. At the time, she said she thought he would kill her. Quote, that evening I was naked, completely alone, with him on top of me, molesting me for hours. Maroney, Maroney told the hush hearing room. Maroney and Nassar molested Maroney said Nassar molested her in London in 2012, just before she won an Olympic gold medal. While Biles' testimony was heartbreaking and faltering at times, Maroney's tone shifted from sheer horror to shimmering fury at how the FBI disregarded her account. Quote, I told the FBI all of this, and they chose to falsify my report and to not only minimize my abuse by silence, but silence me yet again, she said. It took them 14 months to report anything when Larry Nassar, in my opinion, should have been in jail that day. Two other former gymnasts, Maggie Nicholas, who's 24, and Allie Rayson, 
who's 27, also testified about their experiences condemning the FBI and the sports overseers for letting Nassar quietly continue to see patients even after authorities had been told what he was doing. Quote, it was like serving innocent children to a pedophile on a silver platter, Ranson said. Opening the hearing, Chairman Richard J. Durbin called the botched investigation a stain on the Bureau that paints a shocking picture of FBI dereliction of duty and gross incompetence. FBI Director Christopher A. Ray, who testified after the gymnast, offered them a robust public apology. Quote, I want to begin by saying to the brave women testifying this morning, I am deeply and profoundly sorry to each and every one of you, he said. I'm especially sorry that there were people in the FBI who had their own chance to stop this monster back in 2015 and failed. And that is inexcusable. It never should have happened. And we're doing everything in our power to make sure it never happens again. Ray confirmed that Michael Langman, the agent who interviewed Maroney and did much of the early investigative work on Nassar, has been fired. On, quote, on no planet is what happened. On no planet is what happened in this case acceptable, Ray said, adding the FBI officials are going to make damn sure that everybody in the FBI remembers what happened here in a heartbreaking detail. We need to remember the pain that occurred when our folks failed to do their jobs. Durbin criticized the Justice Department for not sending officials to the hearing to explain why they decided not to prosecute either Langman or his former boss, Jay Abbott, whom Horowitz concluded had lied about their work on the Nassar's case. It is outrageous, said Durbin, calling it obvious that these agents were not only derelict in their duty when it came to young women, but their best to cover up what happened, and that is inexcusable. The senior Republican on the committee, Senator Charles E. Grassley, echoed the complaint and called the case a serious problem at the heart of the FBI, not a case of funy, of a few errant agents. After the hearing, the gymnasts were asked what else they would like to happen, and for most of them, the answer was simple. Indictments of the FBI agents and anyone else who enabled Navar's abuse. We all deserve more than just words, Ransma said. Justice Department policy is to generally avoid a public discussion of why prosecutors decide not to file charges in specific cases. So an agency spokesman declined to comment. Ray, who became the director of the FBI uh, conduct at issue in the Nassar case, has pledged to make significant changes on how agents pursue investigations involving sex crimes against children. The inspector's general report harshly criticized Legman without naming him and Abbott for their handling in the Nassar's case, saying the FBI failed to pursue it and then lied to the, I, to the investigators when confronted with those failures. The report found numerous and fundamental errors in the FBI's handling of the case that agents violated multiple FBI policies and that the Indianapolis office never even opened an investigation or assessment on NASAR when the allegations were brought to them. So I'm just going to stop right there because I think I said enough. Um, this was hard. This was a hard story for me to even talk about because I can't even imagine what what these women are dealing with, uh, being on a world stage, being victims of sexual assault and abuse, being silenced, forgotten about, and thrown to the side as if 
what happened to them never did. Like, I, I'm so overwhelmed, I can't even formulate my words. Just, just give me a second, ladies. Yeah, it's, it's so awful. Um, and I think so telling about the way we, as a society, I think treat our, like, like, like we hold, uphold these women who are incredibly talented and deserve to be recognized for their talent, but also like, don't really want to listen to them. Right. At the same time. Um, and the way that this whole, you know, and the way that the obsession with success and winning at all costs can creates cultures like this. Um, and it's really awful in the level of secrecy that went into that across the board. I don't know if you guys watched that documentary uh, that was on Netflix, athlete. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And I listened to the podcast series Mm, about mm -hmm. it and it was very disturbing. Yeah. It's um, because one of the, the names you mentioned Reese Nichols, the documentary really looks at her too, because she and her family actually tried to come forward years before this came out. And at, at least according to the, like the documentary makes it, paints a pretty, I think, um, convincing argument that the reason she was left off the Olympic team in, was it 2012 or uh, around that time, the um Allie race when Allie Raceman's last year was because she had they'd come she had come forward it was essentially punishment um for trying to come forward with that information so um truly truly an awful I don't know it's very like again like a very deeply American (laughs) system where like of course there's like all this like horrible shit happening um, behind the scenes and so much abuse that just gets pushed under the rug because you know because people in power when it are benefiting from it yeah I, what this made me think about was just how pervasive these problems are and how you know it is a, it's a very it's a cultural problem and this might seem like a little bit of a side, but I, I got a little bit of an aside, but I get sort of annoyed with people who will use um, the safety and protection of women and girls as like this convenient pet issue to be so concerned about when it comes to women and girls in other countries they probably can't even find on a map when they want to justify something like horrible, like some sort of intervention or whatever. But then when something is happening right in front of their face, there's, you know, so many people that are complicit that, you know, they could be your friend, your uncle, your brother, your cousin. You don't know. It's like it it takes a village to allow for this type of stuff to go on and to suppress it. And it's just really sad because it's like no matter what country you're in, it doesn't, you know, these are not all, you know, I'm sure there's some variety in the socioeconomic status and the race of the girls, but you can be poor, you can have, you know, be upper middle class, whatever. It's like, you, it's like a girl child isn't safe anywhere. And there will always be people that will find excuses to cover up what happens to you, to minimize it, to say that it's something you should just get over. It's really sick and disgusting. And I'm sad that they have to relive this 
by testifying about it over and over again. I'm sure it's like traumatic to have to keep talking about this stuff. You know, the chilling details that was in that article, and that's kind of why I chose that one. You know, there's many articles, but their testimonies. You know, I was watching it this morning. I just, I just was so overwhelmed with the idea that when Simone, you know, decided to step back from the Olympics this summer, and everybody was giving her all this fucking flack about, you know, how she worked so hard and she's one of the greatest athletes of all time. People don't know what you're really dealing with. And I imagine that they were preparing for this at that time. You know, they prepare to go to the Olympics for years of their life. They dedicate to the score, to the sport. And then they're sitting there harboring this shit. This happened to all of them. Like, it's, it's unreal that these women already talk to the FBI. They already gave their testimony. They already lived, the, relived this trauma individually and collectively. And they swept it under the rug for a fucking medal. Like, I just, I just, I, and I, I'm sorry if, if, if I'm triggering anybody, I just feel very overwhelmed by the fact that, you know, these are some of the greatest athletes of all time that ever lived and why they sit and celebrate their accomplishments on the world stage. They're hurting inside because of what they're harboring and how they've been treated as if they don't even fucking matter. You know, this is so wrong. And you know, just to shift gears, just to, to change change the energy here, I just want to shout them out for their bravery, for their courage, for their commitment to their craft. It's important for us to see how these women overcame these challenges and to acknowledge the fact that this is the plight of a woman, period, wherever you are, to overcome challenges and, and, and issues that you can't control, to be excellent in the midst of all the bullshit that makes you hurt and in pain and to stand up for what you believe in no matter what you know this is this is what they did and and how they're standing up for themselves and everybody else that's been affected by this man is miraculous and they don't just deserve flowers they deserve all the acknowledgement all the love and all the support that we can give them yeah, I do think as sad as it is that they have to, you know, keep speaking this way, I do think for what it's worth, it is important for people that might be dealing with this or children that might be seeing it. It's a widespread problem. And one of the worst things that keeps it going is like being ashamed and feeling like you're alone. So just the fact that they are saying something like that could, you know, help inspire somebody else to realize like, oh, something wasn't right and I'm going to say something, you know? So I don't know if it'll be in our lifetime, but maybe we'll see some kind of sea change with these things being exposed earlier and not having, you know, such strong institutional backing behind covering this type of shit up because it, it needs to end. Absolutely. And if you are someone who is, you know, a victim of abuse or suffering in any way, uh, please just know there's a lot of resources available to you. Um, we will post some things on the social media. I'll post some things this weekend um, just because I just feel so, so overwhelmed by what these women have overcome. And I just want to reach out to anybody who's dealing with abuse in any way, any form, 
you know, you are important. Your story matters and you can't overcome this. You can't get out if you really want to. Let's let's each one of us just be mindful that this is a regular problem, not just in this country, but in this world. And we need to talk more about it. We need to be more. um, We just need to make sure that this is at the front of our agenda because people are really hurting and harboring and dealing with shit for way too long when they really can find ways to get out. But um, shout out to these women for being brave. And uh, my heart goes out to all of them and their families for what they're dealing with right now. All right, y'all. I think we need a music break. Uh, yeah, obviously I picked this track for this story. This is Khalees with Caught Out There. We'll be right back. Babe, I love you, love you. Yo, he's lying. I swear, held you when you were sick. Even the whole time I think to myself, this isn't fair. Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And here's Emily with our world news story. All right. So this story comes from a September 15th uh, New York Times article by David E. Sanger and Zolan Kano-Youngs titled Biden announces defense deal with Australia in a bid to counter China. The article explains, quote, the Biden administration took a major step on Wednesday in challenging China's broad territorial claims in the Pacific, announcing that the United States and Britain would help Australia to deploy nuclear powered submarines, adding to the Western presence in the region. If the plan comes to fruition, Australia may may begin conducting routine patrols that can move through areas of the South China Sea that Beijing claims as its exclusive zone and range as far north as Taiwan. The announcement made by President Biden and Prime Minister Boris Johnson of Britain and Prime Minister Scott Morrison of Australia is a major step for Australia, which until recent years has been hesitant to push back directly at core Chinese interests. Australia has felt increasingly threatened, however, and three years ago was among the first nations to ban Huawei, uh, or Huawei, the Chinese telecommunications giant, from its networks. Now, with the prospect of deploying a new submarine fleet, Australia would become a far more muscular player in the American-led alliance in the Pacific. The vessels are equipped with nuclear propulsion systems that offer limitless range and run so quietly that they are hard to detect. 
For Mr. Johnson, the new defense arrangement would bolster his effort to develop a global Britain strategy that focuses on the Pacific. The next step after the next step after Brexit took the country out of the European Union. Um, so I just want to take a second to say that global Britain brings up major British Empire vibes for me. Um, what's old is new again, I guess. And also, like, why can't you also stay in the EU? I don't know. Um, not that gave me weird vibes for sure. But back to the story. Quote, uh, Mr. Biden and Mr. Morrison said Australia would not arm the submarines with nuclear weapons. Australia is a signatory to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, which bans it from acquiring or deploying nuclear weapons. The submarines almost certainly would carry conventional submarine-launched cruise missiles. Let me be clear. Australia is not seeking to acquire nuclear weapons or establish a civil nuclear capability, Mr. Morrison said. Yet even conventionally armed submarines staffed by Australian sailors could alter the naval balance of power in the Pacific. Quote, attack uh, attack submarines are big deal, and they send a big message, said Vipin Narang, a Massachusetts Institute of Technology professor who studies the use of nuclear weapons and delivery systems among major powers. This would be hard to imagine five years ago, and it would have been impossible 10 years ago. And that says a lot about China's behavior in the region. Zhao um, Lijian, a spokesman for the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs, told a regular news briefing in Beijing on Thursday that the submarine agreement would seriously damage regional peace and stability, exacerbate an arms race, and harm international nuclear nuclear non-proliferation agreements, Global Times, a Chinese newspaper controlled by the Communist Party, reported. Quote, the announcement is the latest action in a a U.S. strategy to push back on Chinese economic, military, and technological expansion, carried out by Mr. Biden. His national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, and his Asia coordinator, Kurt Campbell. Over the past eight months, they have blocked China from acquiring key technologies, including materials for semiconductor production, urged nations to reject Huawei, edged, edged toward closer dealings with Taiwan, and denounced China's crackdown on Hong Kong. Next week, Mr. Biden will gather the leaders of the Quad, an informal partnership of the United States, Japan, India, and Australia, at the White House for an in-person meeting, another way to demonstrate common resolve in dealing with Beijing. Quote, nonetheless, the decision to share the technology for naval reactors, even to a close ally, was a major move for Biden, one bound to raise protests by China and questions from American allies and non-proliferation experts. The United States last shared the nuclear propulsion technology with an ally in 1958 in a similar agreement with Britain, administration officials said. Quote, the nuclear reactors that power American and British submarines use bomb-grade, highly enriched uranium, a remnant of Cold War-era designs. And for two two decades, Washington has been on a drive to eliminate reactors around the world that use bomb-grade fuel, substituting them with less dangerous fuel to limit the risk of proliferation. The movement gained momentum after the September 11th attacks. President Barack Obama ran a series of nuclear summits for world leaders used to pressure nations to remove from service old reactors that used highly enriched uranium so that the fuel could never fall into the hands of terrorists. Quote, but the arrangement with Australia seems almost sure to move in the other direction. Australia is likely to power its submarines with highly enriched uranium because for now there is little choice. Aware of the contradiction, administration officials cast the decision um, as an exception the one they would not make for other major allies. 
quote, a senior administration official deeply involved in the negotiations over the deal said on Wednesday that the United States had not made a deal like this in decades and that after today, it's not likely we will do it again. Officials said the details would be worked out over the next 18 months, including strict controls on nuclear technology. They said Australia had already agreed not to produce the highly enriched fuel, meaning it will probably buy it from American stockpiles. Quote, the United States has explored moving away from highly enriched uranium. A study by the Pentagon's top nuclear advisory group concluded in 2019 that the United States could, uh, should shift to reactors that burn low enriched uranium, which cannot be easily diverted to use in weapons. But that process, the experts concluded, could not begin until after 2040. Quote, Australia has, for more than seven decades, been a member of the Five Eyes, the intelligence alliance that includes the major English-speaking victors of World War II. The other four are the United States, Britain, Canada, and New Zealand. They regularly exchange information on cyber threats and a range of terrorism threats. And uh, I'm also going to add some additional follow-up information from another New York Times article, and this one's by Roger Cohen, titled, France is Outraged by U.S. Nuclear Submarine Deal with Australia. Quote, France reacted with fury on Thursday to President Biden's announcement of a deal to help Australia deploy nuclear-powered submarines, calling it a unilateral, brutal, unpredictable decision that resembled the rash and sudden policy shifts common during the Trump administration. The angry words from Jean-Yves Le Drian, the foreign minister, in an interview with France Info Radio, followed an official statement from him and Florence Parly, uh, the minister of the armed forces, calling the American choice to exclude a European ally and partner such as France a, reg- a regrettable decision that shows a lack of coherence. The degree of French anger recalled the acrimonious, sh- r- acrimonious rift in tw- 2003 between Paris and Washington over the Iraq War and involved language not seen since then. This is not done between allies, Mr. Ledrian said. His specific comparison of President Biden to his predecessor appeared certain to infuriate the American president. His indignation reflected the fact that France had its own deal with Australia, reached in 2016, to provide it with conventional, less technologically sophisticated submarines. That $66 billion deal has now collapsed, but a harsh legal battle... legal battle over the contract appears inevitable. Quote, Britain is the American partner in the deal, another irritant to France after so the British exit from the European Union and Mr. Johnson's embrace of a global Britain strategy aimed largely at the Indo-Pacific region. French suspicion over of an Anglophone um, cabal pursuing its own strategic interests to the exclusion of France is never far beneath the surface. And it's also been reported that in protest of this submarine deal, France has angrily canceled a gala that was meant to celebrate the relationship between France and the U.S. Yeah, so a lot of information in there. Um, I know when I saw the New York Times alert on my phone about this deal happening, I was like, nuclear? Like, why? (laughs) Why, Biden? Why are we doing nuclear deals with anyone? And I thought it was... Interesting, I guess, on a science level to so like to read more about that. It's not like a nuclear weapons deal; it's nuclear power deal, and all like the ins and outs of that, and how that's not necessarily like it's not better than no nuclear deal, but it's still like it's not like we're giving them nukes. Um, but definitely like a a hot global topic right now. This this deal is supposed to be preventative. 
um, something else or did I miss it? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, um, it's a patrol situation. It's like, um, an intimidation tactic. Essentially. It's like, it's, um, trying to keep China from getting a stronger hold in the region. It's not like a declaration of any explicit, you know, um, uh, armament or any explicit, um, like, uh, military action from what I'm understanding. Yeah. Yeah. That's how they do that shit. This is how they do that shit. If you have never, if you wondered for many years how we always end up in everybody else's shit, this is, this is a start. Just, Pay attention, just even listening to it, it just sounds so absurd where it's like <laughs> places that like the U.S. is nowhere near Asia, but it's like you want to play world police against a major Asian country like in Asia, in like an Asian ocean. Like it's just so... Like, I'm not going to pretend like I understand all of the rationale and all of the ins and outs, but it, it it's just like this Cold War shit never really ended. And just, it's, I just, it's not going to end well. And this, you know, it's okay for this, for, you know, these certain groups to have access to these extremely devastating um technology that could wipe out half the planet it's okay for certain countries to have it it's okay for certain countries to have you know army bases in every country you can think of for no clear reason that the citizens of the country can understand but it's your job to make sure that this other place you know doesn't get too out of line like it's just the western like the arrogance like the imperialist mentality it's not going to end well. Like, it, I just, that's all I got. You took the words out of my mouth. This is imperialism at its finest, right? And, and I keep saying, and I said once in this episode, that we got to pay attention to the shit that's not being said, that's being done. Like, the reality is, this is how American imperialism works. You know? Okay, so we didn't do it, but they did it because we helped them. Shit like this is how... We infiltrate other countries. We do things. And they say it's for protection. And it, it may just be shit. I'm not a person on that level making decisions. But I just want us to be aware that a lot of times, you know, we don't pay attention to how administrations move in silence. And this is a clear opportunity for us to see that this is the way that we do that. Um, I, I, I don't really know how to feel or if I feel that China has posed a threat for us to do this, but in its quote, preventative nature, it's imperialism at its purest and finest. And we should just be mindful that action warrants reaction. I thought it was France's France jumping in. I thought was really interesting too. Um, And I mean, like it was sort of like a side story, but it was like, like the the times article about how upset france was was actually like kind of interesting in like a gossipy sort of way on like the national level because they were like seems like they've always resented not being part of like the english speaking like people making all the decisions at the end of world war ii and then there was like there was a bunch of stuff about how like you know the the american like the u.s is always in the back of our minds is like well we we we're the reason that you don't speak german right now right it's like that we we came in and saved you from the nazis so it's like that whole it's like all these like layers of decade you know 80 year old things that like no one's ever really gotten over i thought was was kind of interesting 
It remind like I was imagining, you know, you know, those old political cartoons from like the eighteen hundreds of the people that represent the different heads of states of you know Western countries carving mm-hmm. up the globe mm-hmm. and drawing circles. Like, well, where you know, like you're fighting over pieces of a pie as mm-hmm. if it all belongs to you and it's up to you whether it's France, Germany, England, mm-hmm. America, like it's the same shit and it's been going on too long. It's fucking up the planet. Mm-hmm. It's really, uh, I don't know. I hope this shit doesn't blow up and like kill a lot of people, but it sounds, sounds bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, that, and that's the thing, right? Because like we don't see, we don't see American imperialism on the forefront. Like we see it, when they do, you know, drastic measures, but I think for the past few years, we it, it's kind of been happening, you know, in silence and with these little side stories. But the reality it still exists, still going on. You know, yes, we withdrew from Afghanistan. Don't think for one second that we ain't in the neighboring countries. Don't think for one second that there's still some ally with American interests still there. Like, we need to really see how this moves because, you know, America's a gangster. And I say that respectfully and realistically, but at the end of the day, we should be mindful because this is how it happens. So just be aware, you know, um, just be aware. Make sure you're paying attention. You, I ain't going to say you heard it here first, but maybe you did. <laughs> All right. Emily, My come pleasure. On, give us some so um, this is like a sort of like a pet, like good news thing of mine. Um so I'll just dive in. So this story comes from a September 13th Reuters article uh, titled World's Largest Plant Capturing Carbon from Air Starts in Iceland. Uh, quote, the world's largest plant that sucks carbon dioxide directly from the air and deposits it, deposits it underground is due to start operating on Wednesday, the company behind the nascent green technology said. Swiss startup Climeworks AG, which specializes in capturing carbon dioxide directly from the air, has partnered with Icelandic carbon storage from CarbFix to develop a plant that sucks out up to 4,000 tons of CO2 per year. That's the equivalent of the annual emissions from about 790 cars. Unfortunately, quote, last year, global CO2 emissions totaled 31.5 billion tons, according to the International Energy Agency, so not quite the same amount. But anyway, uh, regardless, quote, direct air capture is one of the few technologies extracting carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and is viewed by scientists as vital to limit global warming, blamed for causing more heat waves, wildfires, floods and rising sea levels. Quote, the orca plant, a reference to the Icelandic word for energy, consists of eight large containers similar in looks to those used in the shipping industry, which employ high tech filters and fans to extract carbon dioxide. The isolated carbon is then mixed with water and pumped deep underground where it slowly turns into rock. Both technologies are powered by renewable energy sourced from a nearby geothermal power plant. Direct air capture is still a fledgling and costly technology, but developers hope to drive down prices by scaling up as more companies and consumers look to reduce their carbon footprint. There are currently 15 direct air capture plants operating worldwide, capturing more than 9,000 tons of CO2 per year, according to the IEA. U.S. oil firm Occidental is currently developing the largest direct air capture facility to pull 1 million tons per year of carbon dioxide from the open air near some of its Texas oil fields. Um, So 
direct air capture is something that I find like personally, as I mentioned earlier, very cool and promising, even if it's currently such a small thing in the face of the beast that is carbon. Um, but it sounds like to me, the more it's used and the more awareness there is around the technology, the more capable, you know, people will be of scaling it up while also attempting to reduce, um, carbon usage, which is really important to avoid, uh, basically apocalypse. Um, I, I do think it's interesting. There's there's two sides of it, right? Like there are also carbon producers like Occidental, it sounds like, that are trying to say like, oh, we don't need to cut back production because we can just do this and that'll offset it, um, which is not the right way of looking at it. But I still think it's very cool that this even exists, that we're not just doomed to like necessarily sit with the amount of carbon we have in the air forever. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. I definitely think that's pretty cool. And there's, you know, changes being made. Listen, when it comes to things getting better, we got to take one step at a time. So I'm grateful for the good news stories that you bring because it shows that we are progressing towards other ways of doing shit that we've been doing wrong. So I think this is a great story. All right, folks. And that's it for this week's Objection to the Rule. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch all of our older episodes on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org or on the Radio Free Brooklyn app or on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Please listen up for more independent Brooklyn media. We're going to play you out with our final song today. And yeah, this song is just fun. Um, A little bit uh, acknowledgement to our second story today. But I just want to shout out Doja Cat. She hosted the MTV um, Music Awards today. I don't know. She's kind of like out there. I really don't figure her out yet, but I love the fact that she has a visual, a musical, a hip hop. She got a little bit of everything and she's been in the game for a while. So she earned her spot. So we're going to give her the title track this week. This song is called Woman. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Radio Free Brooklyn is sponsored in part by Peters Valley School of Craft. Peters Valley presents the Fall Craft Fair at the Sussex County, New Jersey Fairgrounds on September 25th and 26th. Visitors can browse and buy handcrafted pieces from over 100 exhibiting artists. Ticket sales support Peters Valley School of Craft, fostering creative thinking through fine craft education, programs, and events. Tickets and more information at petersvalley.org. That's P-E-T-E-R-S-V-A-L-L-E-Y dot O-R-G.